Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 55. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about what to do if your dog or cat has a fever. The gut-brain connection and what to feed to support your pet's brain and gut health. Lastly, hotspots. You should be trying this new recipe. Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes and Stitcher. I'd sure appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. And lastly, if you have to do so, I really encourage you to get a copy of my free book and my three free videos. It's at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast. Fever. What are the signs and symptoms? Well, those of a fever in dogs and cats include the primary one of your pet having an above normal body temperature. Your pet may have a decreased appetite and lower energy. Your dog or cat's ears can be very hot to the touch and they may be panting excessively in the house. Some pets will shiver, others can have an elevated heart rate. All are much of the same signs that people are going to have when we also have a fever. So what are the causes? A fever is usually caused by a bacterial or a viral infection. Having a high temperature makes it much more difficult for things like bacteria to grow in the body. But the problem with a fever in our pets is that they're going to often stop drinking and then dehydration becomes the primary concern. A normal dog's temperature is 101 degrees Fahrenheit, that's 38 degrees Celsius. A normal cat's temperature is 102 degrees Fahrenheit, that's 38.5 degrees Celsius. Taking the the temperature range is sort of plus or minus a degree. So one of the important things is you actually getting an idea of sort of what is normal for your dog or cat, because it really is a range. And the big simple thing to do that is for you just to go get a digital thermometer and or if you're not comfortable doing it, seeing your veterinarian, but seeing it when your dog or cat is healthy. So you sort of know this is sort of my dog or cat standard temperature. Then you're going to know when there is a fever or not. Taking your own pet's temperature at home, all it does is involve placing a thermometer in your pet's rectum. You can just get something simple such as a lubricating gel, KY jelly. You're going to leave it in for about 30 to 60 seconds till the digital thermometer beeps and then you're going to see the temperature. If the temperature is 103.5 degrees Fahrenheit, that's 39.5 degrees Celsius Celsius or higher, then your pet has a fever. A fever is in response to something that's going on in your dog or cat's body. The most common cause I find or what I found in veterinary practice was bite wounds. Now search your dog or cat well for punctures. If you find some of them, then you can sort of treat them, you know, under when we talked about earlier in the podcast about abscesses and bite wounds. So what are the solutions? Well, first, you know, what is the temperature? You know, start with the obvious. Take your dog or cat's temperature and determine if it's elevated, not you just thinking, oh, he's hot to the touch. You know, if the temperature is 103.5 degrees Fahrenheit, that's 39.5 degrees Celsius or more, then they have a fever. If a fever persists for more than 24 hours, and if your pet is not drinking, then call your veterinarian. If they're still drinking or in the interim before going to see your veterinarian, these are some additional remedies and supportive care that you can consider. First of all, keep them hydrated. Offer plenty of fresh water in different spots around the house. If your pet is refusing to drink, you can use something such as an eyedropper or a turkey baster to squirt water into the side of their mouth. Often minerals become depleted when your pet is dehydrated. For an added boost, you can add an electrolyte supplement such as Pedialyte. It's a solution available from the pharmacy. Some pets will prefer chicken or beef broth or tuna juice. You're going to put in to give them whatever is going to work. You might add some tuna juice to their water just to get your dog or your cat to start drinking again. If a fever persists for more than 24 hours and your dog or cat is not drinking, call your veterinarian. 
cool calm presses. If your pet will tolerate it, apply a cold cloth to the belly. The exposed skin will result in some fairly rapid cooling. And it's, that alone is to make your dog or cat feel better. Imagine having a cold cloth in the back of your neck. You know, you can also apply these cool compresses you know, into their groins. We're trying to also affect the big areas where the big blood supply is. So under the axillas or the front arm or the armpits or in between the legs of the groin where the big femoral artery runs. The medicine cabinet. Aspirin can be safely used in dogs to bring down a fever, but never use it in cats. The aspirin dose is one 325 milligram tablet for 40 pounds of body weight given every 12 hours. There are some herbal options to consider. One, echinacea, myrrh, and sage. These are all excellent antimicrobial herbs. You can give a combined formula of one drop per pound twice daily of the tincture. Another option is to use commercially prepared products such as echinamide. The dose is 0.1 mil per 10 pounds every eight hours. There is a viral herbal fever control. And so two of the more common fever viral remedies include catnip, bone set, and ginger. You can combine the tincture and give one drop per pound twice daily. So another antibacterial herb that I haven't discussed is garlic, but in particular, you're taking the active ingredient in garlic, which is allicin. Um, in veterinary medicine, many people make the claim that it's very um, potentially toxic to our dogs and cats. Fortunately, this has been shown to not be true, and it's virtually, virtually impossible to find any case reports of any animal being clinically ill from having garlic. The big thing is using allicin, which is the active ingredient, and you're, you're using it at the appropriate dose. So a low, sort of fairly standard dose would be 10 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight, given twice daily. And this is in particular if we're trying to treat a bacterial infection. And the last one I wanted to mention um, before we talk about the homeopathics and arnica is honey. So honey, once again, is a great anti antibacterial option. A real sort of safe standard amount to give would be half a teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. So there's some other good sort of herbal type options for you. A couple of homeopathics to consider. First, arnica. Really helpful in finding the aches and pains that go along with a fever, you know, often secondary from, say, a cat bite wound or a dog fight wound. We're looking at doses of 130C capsule uh, per 10 to 20 pounds of body weight every four to six hours, especially during an immediate fever. A second homeopathic is ferrum foss. For any dog or cat with a fever, but with no other serious recorded symptoms, that's all you're finding. You're looking at doses of 130C capsule per 10 to 20 pounds of body weight every two to four hours for two to three days. And lastly, Hiparasolf. This is an important one that we use a lot for these abscess wounds. And it's, what it seems to do is help draw out the abscess. So the Hiparasolf dose is 130C capsule. It's pretty standard. Most of the time we're treating a cat. So 130C capsule every six hours for two to three days. Now let's talk about the gut-brain connection. A study that was published fairly recently in Nature sheds new light on the connection between the gut and the brain, untangling the complex interplay that allows the byproducts of bugs living in the gut to influence the progression of neurodegenerative diseases, you know, diseases such as Alzheimer's in people. Um, investigators from Brigham's Women's Hospital, BWH, have been using both animal models and human cells from patients to tease out sort of the key players involved in the gut-brain connection, as well as crosstalk between immune cells and brain cells. Their new publication defines a pathway that may help guide therapies for things such as neurologic diseases, such as MS in people, perhaps some of those other related diseases, cognitive dysfunction in our animals. These findings provide a clear understanding of how the gut impacts central nervous system 
cells in the brain. Anne Romney, Center for, Neur for the Neurologic Diseases at BWH said, we now have an idea of the players involved. We can get now begin to go after and develop new therapies. Their research focuses on the influence of gut microbes and two types of cells that play a major role in the CNS. And they're, they're called microalgia and astrocytes. These are, these are specific nervous system cells that are in our intestinal tract and our pet's intestinal tract. One of the key findings from the study, they reported that the byproducts that microbes produce when they break down dietary tryptophan, that's an amino acid found in turkey and other foods, may limit inflammation in the brain through their influence on these microalgia, those specific things within the uh, intestinal tract that are directly correlated with what's happening in the brain. To conduct the study, the research team, they examined gut microbes and the influence of changes of the diet in a mouse model, where they had a mouse sort of model having MS. And what they found that compounds resulting from the breakdown of tryptophan cross the blood-brain barrier, activating an anti-inflammatory pathway that limits neurodegeneration, which is huge. You can just imagine that. So activation of the same pathway has been recently linked to the degenerative disease, Alzheimer's. I wanted to talk a little bit more and specifically about our dogs and the gut and mental health. So question now, you know, especially, you know, segueing on from that study itself, you've got people are now starting to understand the link between the gut and the brain and how that relates to ourselves, but more in particular, our dogs. You know, when stressed or anxious, many people report they feel nausea or lack of appetite, the typical butterflies in the stomach feeling. So what is this? This is due to the fact that the gut really does act like a second brain, referred to as the enteric nervous system. It regulates gastrointestinal function. 95% of serotonin, 50% of dopamine in the body is found in the gut. These are these brain transmitters, these neurotransmitters associated with mood regulation and reward-motivated behaviors. Scientists also believe that the second brain was developed to make digestion more efficient and autonomous. This also leaves the brain at the mercy of the gut and what goes into the gut. So how does this sort of segue then into our pets, into our dogs, into our cats? Well, let's just talk about, you know, dog food, the problems with conventional dog food and mental health. So we've got this conventional dog food leaching nutrients from the body, bringing very little in the way of usable nutrients to the table. For instance, so much of the nutrient profile of kibble is denatured at high temperature, necessary to form kibble, making it shelf-stable. So what this does is leads to nutritional imbalances and deficiencies. So these deficiencies can then start to affect mood and behavior in dogs that are likely shown to affect humans. You know, things such as depression, anxiety, difficulty concentrating, even sort of autism-like disorders linked to gut and nutrition. It's not that hard to make that jump. You know, if we're starting to recognize that in people to then imagine that we're seeing in our dogs. Yet here it is, here we are, you know, we're still feeding them for the most part, you know, the same stuff that's not... If anything, it's having a negative detriment on their gut, which makes sense. It's going to have a negative detriment on their brain. So what are the things you can do? What are some tips for dog food to improve mental health? Well, avoid pro feeding your dog processed foods that cause nutritional deficiencies. You know, instead, opt for whole foods rich in vitamins, minerals, proteins, and fats, enzymes, both the probiotics and the prebiotics. Whole foods are complete foods. You know, supplement with a good quality probiotic. You know, I have specific probiotics in my supplement, Ultimate Canine Health Formula and Ultimate Canine Advanced Health Formula. You know, reduce starches and sugars in the diet. Starches and sugars feed bad bacteria, which can alter the mood. These are mostly unnecessary in your dog's diet and cause blood sugar fluctuations, which can lead to depression. Secondly, look at feeding the healthy fats. You know, those, those omega-3 essential fatty acids, you know, such as fish oil, flax oil, even primrose oil. And lastly, ensure that there's a proper balance of all the essential meals 
amino acids. Proteins are essential for the body to make the, those neurotransmitters, those brain transmitters, that both make us and our dogs happy. And the last section I want to talk about, especially as we're approaching summer and the season of hot spots. So hotspot itself, for those of you who don't know, is just a very itchy, smelly, oozy area of the skin. Often there can be more in one spot. They typically form on the face, the ba base of the ears, and they're really painful. They're called a hot spot because they're in the technical veterinary term is acute moist dermatitis. It's a local area of bacterial infected hair follicles. They most often form during the warm summer months such as we're approaching but any scratch or wound could just cause the skin to become infected developing into this hot spots many are secondary to some type of allergy they happen really fast but the big key to preventing them making them not avoid visiting the vet is getting on them early you recognizing them getting on them early the first stage to show up is a moist red itchy skin the infected skin is going to ooze pus it'll dry up often form a crust over the infected area so what can you do first or the first big thing you recognize them that the next big thing it's nice to be able to give your dog something if they're really painful just so he's going to let you sort of have a look at it and have it to clip it and clean it up the next thing is considering some type of anti-inflammatory is these hot spots are painful we want to be want you to be able to examine your dog and secondary remove some of that hair and then scrub and clean it the aspirin dose is one 325 milligram tablet for 40 pounds of body weight do one of those you could also use something such as valerian you know, if you've got a 40 or 50 pound dog you can give them two cc's of valerian something to just sort of take the edge off so you can have a better look at it um all some of you may have some of those topical spray on local type anesthetics um, those are fine too you can just spray those on the surface or on the edge of the skin just so you can have a better look at it. The next thing you're gonna to need to do is you gotta clip the hair around it. You gotta remove that hair, all the hair around the edge, as much hair as possible. If you have clippers, great. If you don't, the next best thing is just using these pair of blunt nose scissors. Clip it as close to the skin as you can, getting as much hair off as possible. Because the way the hot spot is persisting is a bacteria you're staying right there on the surface of the hair, right on the base of that hair follicle, and they're just oozing and spreading. So you gotta get rid of the hair, get rid of their environment. Third, then you gotta clean the area. Ideally, you're gonna have some type of antiseptic soap. I really like chlorhexidine. It's over the counter, easy to pick up at most pharmacies. If not, you can just use something like tea um, as an antiseptic scrub. Black tea, green tea is fine. And if you had, if you want to make your own sort of antiseptic scrub, you, you can also add one of the a castile soap, which is a good base of a soap, also available at most pharmacies. You can add sort of a, a tablespoon of castile soap with a half a cup of green tea. It'd be a great option for a cleanser. Next thing we want to, so we've We've clipped it, we've cleaned it. I'm gonna scrub it really well. I would just use a sort of gauze. These little four by two by two gauzes are great. Pick those up from the pharmacy as well, or just a bit of a cloth at home. The last thing you wanna treat them. So the key to curing a hot spot is to get them to dry out. So I'm gonna give you a couple options here to think of, ones that I've used and ones I think can work well long-term. First one is this tea and aspirin. So what I do is you make up a strong, strong cup of black tea and dissolve one or two aspirins in it. Generally, just one regular strength aspirin. That's it. And I do even make a half a cup of strong black tea. And then you're going to wipe that. You make that this tea aspirin concoction daily. And each day, you're going to wipe that four to six times a day with that gauze and spread that all over that hot spot. So what that is, is that's antibacterial. So it's antibacterial via the tannins, via what's in the tea. It's also, um, it's going to, it's got the tannins in it, which is going to help dry up all that additional moisture that's on the surface of the skin. Then lastly, it's anti-inflammatory with the aspirin. I'm telling you, in veterinary practice, that was as effective as anything. The second one you want to consider is, is one I also tried out, where we actually 
we used a combination of green tea um, instead of the, the black tea. And I tried in one of the essential oils. So I actually did in um, two different options. I did topical tea tree. So I put in, I made one cup of green tea and I put in 10 drops of tea tree in that concoction. And then likewise too, and I'm just wiping that on the skin three to four times a day. It's another good option too. Likewise, both of those, primarily I've used the black tea, the aspirin, I found it probably work. Use it for many, many, many clients in the past. Many of you guys listening to the podcast, many of the YouTube subscribers have tried it, said it worked really well. But that second option, you can use the green tea along with the tea drills as another option. The last thing I want to talk about is just sort of the underlying issue. More likely, more often than not, I found in vet practice, these dogs had underlying allergies. So really put some energy into focusing on what is your dog allergic to. Put some thought into food. If you've never done a food trial, do a proper food trial. Um, and secondly, too, think about your dog having you know these environmental type allergens and you know whatever you can to reduce them i've already done a number of different discussions on them but the big thing i want to summarize is first of all do a proper food trial where you're going to feed your dog something different for 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 minimum six weeks so you're you try something such as uh, wellness fish and sweet potato as far as the environmental allergies you're just putting some thought into what is my dog likely allergic to if you've probably seen your veterinarian with this and they've said it's probably environmental you can either have to get your dog on long-term steroids consider another couple things first of all do a trial with curcumin so that's 95 percent curcuminoids 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily do that for four to six weeks along with i found many guys have really responded to oral honey especially if they've, they've got a pollen allergy and the honey dose is about half a teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight you're going to do that daily you go to feed the honey um, for about six to eight weeks to see if it's going to help i had a number of dogs respond well to it so thanks you guys that's coming to the end of this podcast thanks for being patient i'm going to be starting being on a more regular schedule now i've sort of got my life a bit more organized and i'm hoping hope you found this helpful i hope you, hope you found some of the other podcasts helpful too first of all i'd love to get your feedback you can send me any questions comments to podcast at veterinarysecrets.com um, likewise too suggestions for future shows be much appreciated and lastly too i'd love for you to um, you know be part or be a subscriber so you can do so on either itunes or stitcher thanks again i'll talk to you guys next week this is dr jones